Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Very excited for you all on the program uh, listening in that we have David Meerman Scott. Uh, today. So first, let me welcome David and then tell you how he and I first got connected and, and where things are today. So David, welcome. How are you? Hey, David. We're doubling up on the Davids here. I'm doing great. And then thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you for accepting the invitation. Um, as, as you remember, you came and spoke at an Eloqua Experience Conference several years ago, must be about six years ago in San Francisco at, at the Big Hilton there. And your talk was very inspirational. One of the things I loved about your talk was that it was very practical. Like you gave great examples that marketers could leave the room and do something with. And I want to tell you in a moment what I did with that inspiration. But that's what I really enjoyed. Um, it was great that they gave out copies of your book. Uh, your, I don't know if that was your first book, but um, The New Rules in PR. And that I, was actually, um, that book was my fifth book. It was, it was a book called Real-Time Marketing in PR. I've done 10 books now. And um, the one I'm best known for is The New Rules of Marketing in PR. That one's in 29 different languages. Um, but when, when the Elo- Eloqua was a great event. I remember, be- I thought it was so awesome because it was, I th- I, as I recall, something like six years ago. But it was right when um, sort of the marketing automation software space was heating up and people, marketers and CEOs and business owners recognized that they needed that kind of software. And so it was a really, really fun time in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you shared there as an example, um, and if you remember, uh, Joe Payne, who was CEO at the time, Joe had kicked off with a demo reel. He had put together a video that showed really like the history of advertising, both print and um, TV commercials. And it was just kind of a Fast forward, you know, where we started back in the days when we saw a lot of uh, smoking ads and smoking commercials and moved <laughs> all the way to the Apple one. And then you came and gave what felt like a keynote. I think it was the keynote. And it was very inspirational. And one of the examples you gave of, of real-time marketing at that was what uh, Oreo did during the Super Bowl. So they, um, you know, when the lights went out at the uh, stadium, they quickly put together a social media uh, ad and, and throughout the... Um, I think it was like, don't dunk in the dark. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. And and you used it as an example of how we in marketing should attach ourselves to what's happening in, in the real world. And I hope still six years later, I'm still living up to uh, your expectations and um, mm-hmm. give you an example of, of what I did earlier in the week. So I was watching with my family the Golden Globes on uh, Sunday night. And yep. Regina King, who won the award for Best Supporting Actress, uh, was up on stage. And as a lot of celebrities do, when they get a platform, they cast out a message. And oftentimes it's, it's political, and sometimes it's other things. Well, in Regina's case, it was she's moved to becoming not just an actress, but a director. And so she said, in a call to action to inside Hollywood and outside Hollywood, she said, within the next two years, I'm going to make sure that every project that I work on has at least 50% women involved in the project. And really a call to action to business leaders to say, how are you doing against 
this goal of diversity. And so on Monday, I posted our stats and I linked to Regina and the Golden Globes and said, you know, thank you for the call to action. Here's our breakdown and published that we are 60% women at Demand Gen and then looked at the leadership roles because I knew that would be the second question probably in people's mind, which is, okay, well, if you have 60% of your employees are women, how many are in manager leadership roles? And it's 60% as well. So just just uh, awesome. on pair. And then I thought a lot about that, David. Uh, and, you know, how did we get there? What's the recipe for that diversity success? And really, candidly, there, there's not one. It's just we just hire the best and recruit the best and promote the best, and that's how the numbers shake out. But how's that as an example of looking at what's going on in the world and either taking that inspiration uh, and, and bringing forth a message that people might be tuned into? What do you think? Well, that's exactly the idea of, of, of what real-time marketing is and even more specifically what I call newsjacking is. It's the idea of following what's going on in the news, in this case, um, uh, one of the Golden Globe speeches, and then creating a piece of content based on that. And, this, and in, in your case, that was a blog post, you said, right? It was actually a LinkedIn post, but yep. A LinkedIn post, yeah, same idea. So, so you created a piece of content that was based on something that was going down on social networks and in the news, which is great. And the reason this is so important is that the vast majority of marketers are still operating in kind of a campaign mode exclusively. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing marketing campaigns, but if you're doing it exclusively, it's a problem. So most people are only thinking about what their email cam email message for next week will be, what their press release for, will be for next week, what the new product announcement will look like for next quarter, that kind of thing. And what you do what you're doing and what I think is absolutely essential for marketers is to think about what you can do right this instant and things that you never saw coming, you never assumed was going to happen. And so specifically, I'm not sure which one of these elements uh, perhaps all of them you included, but one thing that's essential is to be really quick. Like um, I would encourage somebody who had the situation like that to quite literally do that LinkedIn post that day. So in the case of an evening, you know, it was you're in, you're on the West Coast. I'm here on the East Coast. For me, it would have been really late at night. But I would um, I would write that right then. And push it out because that's when people are paying attention. And then I would um, – uh, it kind of doesn't matter where you initially put it, but then I would share it all over the place. Yeah. And uh, the best thing is a tweet with a link to it and including the hashtags that we're developing. So the Golden Globes hashtag and then perhaps if there were a hashtag for that particular um, comment, I would then also tag um, the actress – who um who 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 said that and um and then I would share that on on various social networks and what that does is it gets your ideas out there and in fact what can then happen is that members of the media can quote you in their stories uh and perhaps um it might lead somebody to your organization who eventually be becomes a client so uh, it's the whole idea of instant and real-time communication, specifically in this case, something I call newsjacking. Well, clearly I have a ways to go because I, I didn't do most of that. Um, 
you know, wasn't timely uh, in terms of that evening because, you know, was with the family and didn't yeah, have sure. actually the stats. But I think you're, no doubt your point is that the faster you can get there, um, the better. But you also brought up so many great examples of things that, well, for one, I couldn't do on LinkedIn because even though I could hashtag the Golden Globes and did, Regina King is not on LinkedIn. So I couldn't right. tag yeah, her in it. Exactly. And so Twitter or Instagram and other channels would have been... Um, more effective or, or help amplify it, and who knows who knows and, where and if, it went. And if you have if you have your own blog, that's one of the best places because that's content real estate that you own. Yeah, it will always that will always push back to you. In fact, you mentioned Joe Payne, so let me give you an example of of newsjacking from Joe Payne. Um, as you write, as you rightly said, we we met at this uh, conference a few years ago, and um, and that was where when I, during my keynote speech where. Uh, Joe Payne, who was at the time the CEO of Eloqua, learned about this concept of newsjacking. He was like, after the speech, he's like, David, God, that's so cool. I love this idea of newsjacking. I need to do it myself. And then I didn't hear from Joe for a while. And I don't know if it was six months later or a year later, something like that. He reaches out to me and goes, David, I just did some newsjacking and I made a million dollars from one blog post. And what he did was he got a text from somebody um, who told him that one of his competitors, a company called Market to Lead, I don't know if you remember those guys, sure, yeah. were, um, was going to be acquired by Oracle. So here is Joe. Joe has this text from somebody um, who said, I just heard that market to lead is being acquired by Oracle. And this was like nine o'clock at night. Joe went on Google and sure enough, there was one hit in the entire universe for that particular story. And it was a little tiny three sentence announcement on the Oracle website that said Oracle has uh, just acquired the assets of market to lead. So now Joe is sitting on very fresh news. He's the CEO of the competition. And there's no other data out there other than three sentences that essentially say nothing issued by Oracle. So Joe did a blog post. It took him two hours to write. He started that moment, came out in the middle of the night. And the blog post uh, was called Oracle Joins the Party. And what it did was it talked about the um, uh, it, uh, it talked about what that acquisition meant to the marketing automation software business as a, in general, and um, then offered some specific data, kind of like what you were doing with your blog po- with your LinkedIn post, specific data on the marketplace. Um, he pushed that out on the Eloqua blog, then uh, through LinkedIn, then through Twitter. Um, and then also the next morning, all of the salespeople sent links to all of their existing and potential customers to that blog post. He ended up then getting quoted in every story that was written about that acquisition because of only three sentences available on the Oracle website or a fully baked, really well done blog post quoting stats and having uh, quotes from Joe himself about what that acquisition means. Uh, Joe said within six weeks, they had a million dollars in new business of people who saw the blog post and said, well, shoot, I think I want to do my, bring my business to Eloqua. And then, um, as you, as you, I'm sure know, um, uh, about, I think it was nine months later or a year later, then, um, Eloqua was also acquired by Oracle. And I did the math 
And based on the roughly $850 million, million dollar purchase price of Eloqua by Oracle, the extra million dollars, I think they had like a $65 million run rate at that point, the extra million dollars in revenue from that one blog post um, where he learned newsjacking based on that presentation that you talked about that I delivered, that that was worth $15 million extra on the purchase price. So that one blog post was worth $16 million, and the reason was because it was timely. And that's something I believe everybody can do. Anyone listening in here, if they're doing real-time marketing, if they're doing this concept of newsjacking, they're in front of people when the moment is right, not just focused on what I'm going to do next week or next month, then they can be there when the time is right. The whole idea here is to be in front of people when they're ready, not simply when you're ready. Yeah. Uh, when you, you made a statement, and I want to come back to it, which is something that everybody can do everybody should do and i you know i like to think of demand gen we have one of the best marketing teams on on the planet these guys are really good at cranking out a steady stream of great content but they're a small department you know we're not yep. a inc 500 we actually have been an inc 500 company we're not a a fortune 500 company on a fortune 100 company so we don't have the processes in place fortunately that would prevent that real-time marketing capability. And I know so many of our clients, though, large, especially financial institutions, people in the medical field, the amount of work that they have to go through to get any marketing approved is really challenging for them. I mean, it takes weeks of approval processes all the way through legal. And so it prevents them from doing it. And yet what you're saying is so spot on, it's so relevant, and it's so important in marketing, whether you're doing that on Instagram or blog posts or YouTube channels. So how do, what do you see, you know, as a guy who's written the book on this for years, how, what advice do you have for the larger B2B or B2C companies that um, maybe not are as agile as they, as they can be? How do you, how do you get well, set up for success? The way you set up the question is as if their hands are tied, but they're not. It's a decision that the company made to run it through legal. It's the con con it's the um, the conditions that that company made um, to force the marketers to run something through multiple levels of approval. Um, that's a decision that that company made. What I recommend is that every organization who has trouble pushing out real-time content figure out how to fix that. And it's, it's as simple as getting the right people in the room. And in the case of a medium company, that could very well be the CEO, the head of sales, the head of marketing, the head of PR, the head of legal, the head of HR. Get them in a room and say, the entire planet has gone real time. The president of the United States is real time. Yeah. <laughs> Our customers are real time. And we fucking need people to go a three-week approval process? That is insane, and it's harming our ability to do our jobs. You need to allow us to communicate instantly like all of our customers are doing. And we need to have that facility available to us now. That's what's important. And so I think that there's, uh, it, it, for somebody who's frustrated that they can't get this done, uh, 
you have three choices. Choice number one is to become an agent of change and do what I just said. Get the right people in the room. Um, you know, do it in the way that you're most comfortable with, whether you have to take off your shoe and bang it against the table or whether you, you're nice and sweet and smile pretty. It doesn't matter, whatever the right approach is. And so the, the challenge with being an agent of change is you might get fired. The challenge with, but, but the opportunity with being an agent of change is, is when it works, you're going to get a promotion. So it's a risk to be an agent of change. The second option you have is to just go along, collect your paycheck, and have a crappy job. The third option is to leave that company and do something else. And I don't... I think you have to make a conscious decision which of those you're planning on doing that just bitching about the system is not appropriate because you're going to drive yourself crazy. Um, so you need to either fix the system or leave the system or say, you know what, I'm okay with the system because I got a paycheck. Well, let's just talk about a few people that have gotten fired that people may recognize, like, um, let's go, Mark Cuban, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Steve Jobs, J.K. Rowling, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, there, there's quite a huge list. I, of- was, I was fired in 2002 from a company called Thomson Reuters, um, and I'm happy to say that I'm still unemployed 17 years later. Congratulations. And, um, yeah, and it's, um, it's one of the most fantastic things that ever happened in my career is that I got fired. Um, and I was trying to be an agent of change. It didn't work, but, um, that's okay. That's okay. Because it was the best thing that ever happened to me for my career. At 17 years old, my very, very first non-working in food job. So I was, you know, uh, DJ, waiter, you know, those businesses. But my very first company job, I was fired on day two, which I think I share with Madonna. Um, But you, I want to come back to the, you know, the point I want to make there is getting fired isn't a bad thing. Um, It depends on off the reason. And what you were saying is be an agent of change. In fact, I don't know if you know, David, that's the title of my new book that I am working on. Yeah, so great minds think alike. And and in that book, I profile uh, stories that are about agents of change and the primarily the changes that they're bringing about is the alignment of sales and marketing and how companies go to market and adopt and use technologies. And yeah, I'm just I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think one of the most important ways to be an agent of change is the simple idea that sales and marketing is not simply campaigns that you plan for the future. Sales and marketing happens right now in real time. That's how people buy today. They're on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're making decisions based on what your website says right this second. They're basing decisions uh, based on which salesperson of the two companies that they're considering gets back to them quicker. So that is a really important issue. Thank you for sharing that. And what I would love for you to share some insights on is, if I'm correct, the the new rules of marketing PR, the book... No, I got real-time marketing PR. That was my very first exposure yeah. to David Newman yeah. and Scott after your talk. But then that I picked up... That was the one that, they do, that was delivered uh, to everybody who went to the Eloqua Experience. That yeah. Year. But then I grabbed the new rules, which is now in, what, sixth edition? Yeah, sixth edition came out a couple years ago, and we're actually beginning working on the seventh. Okay. 
So the rules keep changing, right? If you're updating the yeah. book every year, the rules are changing. And I'd love to get your... Actually two- not. Mm, actually, okay. actually not. The, um, the rules have been essentially the same since I was a, a, originally writing the book in 2005 and 2006. It originally, the first edition came out in 2007. And um, now we're, as you said, we're now in the sixth edition. Um, what is changing, though, are the different uh, tools that you can use. Yes. So the basic idea of the rules are that the old rules were that in order to generate attention for your business and, and, and get people to buy your products and services, you had to pay for expensive advertising. You had to use the mainstream media, so you had to beg them to cover you, and you had to sell as in interrupting people, knocking on doors, cold calling, whatever. Those are the options you had. Um, but today, the new rules are you can create the kind of content that will generate attention. What's changed in all of those different books, um, the different editions, six editions, is that the tools have changed. So what I mean by that is when I first was writing the book, um, Facebook was only for students, um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat didn't even exist. Mm-hmm. The biggest uh, social network that we had at that time was MySpace. Um, so every couple of years, there's new tools. Uh, every couple of years, I have new examples that I cite. Um, in some cases, there's tools that go away. Um, for example, since the sixth edition came out, Google Plus is going away. So I have a section in the book on Google Plus, so I've got to remove that. So the book is um, the strategies remain the same, the rules remain the same. It's the it's the it's the techniques um, and the tools that change. Well, you were you were still getting to what was going to be the second part of the question because I was going to ask you or was going to what 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 has changed about the rules, which you've just cleared up that the rules aren't actually changing. And then the second part of the question was what tools today matter? And what I wanted to tee up was uh, some four examples. So over the holiday, um, boy, this is the second shout out to my future son-in-law, Alex. I must really like that guy. But he <laughs> he has been building me and finished last night a brand new uh, gaming rig because my, my oldest daughter is a phenomenal video gamer. He is as well. Wow. And, and I have been a phenomenal ga- gamer throughout uh, the course of my life. I was really into it in 1999 when I developed the first voice chat product for the internet. I later sold that company a year later uh, and was really into gaming and then took a hiatus for a long time, pretty much when I had kids, actually, because I was raising my family and not spending time at night uh, playing video games. But uh, I guess maybe ironic that my daughter is such a gamer. Anyway, we started talking about Twitch. And I have a very good friend of mine, Bobby Carp, who works uh, over at Amazon slash Twitch, working on the platform. And he was telling me about, you know, the innovations and what they're doing. You don't see today, at least that I'm aware of, people using the Twitch platform yet for real-time training or, you know, streaming of content uh, outside of gaming, certainly for our industry. In fact, I would say, David, that on YouTube, if you take a look at the the channels, and I know you're very close to the HubSpot team and have spoken at Inbound numerous times and, and even co-wrote a book with Brian. HubSpot's actually pretty good on their YouTube channel about publishing regular mm-hmm. content and building up that. But not many of the other vendors and, and other thought leaders have a vibrant YouTube channel. So I would love for you to spend a few minutes on, in terms of B2B marketing, 
when is the time for Twitch? What should we be doing on YouTube or other apps? What, what's relevant, uh, you know, for for my audience on what uh, channels they should be on and and publishing content on a regular basis? Love to get your perspective. So that's a big question yeah. with a bunch of different a bunch of different um, uh, tangents that I'd like to go down briefly. The f- the first observation would be that to be successful personally. Um, each one of us needs to sort of consider what social networks we enjoy the most um, because it, it is impossible to use all of them. You, you just can't. Um, so um, do you like to write? Um, that will inform which social networks are likely to be good ones for you. Um, I, I personally like long-form content, so um, I have my own blog. That's really important to me. I've been writing that for, I think, uh, 16 years now. Um, I have. Um, uh, I also write um, pretty frequently on the LinkedIn platform, long-form. I do even longer stuff on me- the Medium platform. Um, I also like images, so Instagram. I'm, I kind of dig Instagram. I do some videos now and then, so I'm on I'm on Vimeo, I'm on YouTube, but there's a lot of social networks I'm not on. I'm not on Twitch. You actually sparked um, an interest in me and just poking around a little bit in it. Uh, I do know what it is, but I uh, haven't poked around in it yet. Um, and so I think if you if you're kind of aware of what type of person you are, it'll help you to figure out which social networks are best for you personally to engage with because we can't all engage in all of them. It doesn't make any sense to spread yourself that too thin. And I would say the same thing is true of many companies, unless you're a really big company and you have a pretty big social media team and marketing team, I would say that you want to focus on a few rather than try to do everything. So that's one observation. The second observation uh, is one... um, that I've been focused on over the last couple of years. It's just personally interesting to me. And that is just a general observation. I don't have any data to support this, but a general observation that suggests that social networking posts with images of people and video posts that are are videos that include people tend to do a lot better than ones that don't. Um, so focusing on how you can get personal with people in your companies, how you can get personal with your customers is a really good way to create valuable content. And if video platforms, whether it's YouTube or Twitch or whatever, help you to do that, um, then then that's fascinating. And I think that's going to become even more powerful uh, in the future. And the reason I say that is because there's so much noise in the social networks right now. There's so much noise going on in the online world that the more we can connect with people on a human basis, the more we can make things as close as possible to a, a real life physical face-to-face connection, the better. And video actually is a pretty good way of doing that. No, you're not physically in the same room as people, but you are um, viewing them in such a way that you can have some of the same uh, bits of your brain firing mm-hmm as you're watching them as you might if they were right across from you physically in the same room. Well, great great advice. I, you know, I feel like, David, we could go on forever. Um, you made me think of a couple things. One lesson that I want to share that was a, a slightly painful one. Um, I didn't get on Twitter very early. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you know, when you've got a brand called DemandGen and have the URL <laughs> demandgen.com, people always say to me, 
God, how did you how did you get that? And what they don't realize is that I was really early, and and where the name right. of the company came from predates me starting the company. Uh, and it was a blog that I uh, was working on that talked about the alignment of sales and marketing. So I got the domain for that reason. And when I started the company, decided that was a great name for the company. But the point I want to make clever, is very clever of you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, if I had a nickel right now for uh, yeah, right. So right. what I didn't do is register Demand Gen as a Twitter handle and didn't right. uh, for about two years after, and it cost uh, ten thousand dollars for me to buy that from the gal who did register it, um, and that was after a lot of negotiation. Uh, and there no, there's no legal rights that you have to go get those handles or those domains. So whether no. you're not on no. Twitch or Instagram or other social media apps that have caught wildfire, maybe it's not right for your business yet, but if it ever is, you don't really want to miss that that handle. And so that's just something to um something to think actually, about. It's actually a really good point. I um I managed to get DM Scott. I'm I'm David Merriman Scott, so D M S C O T T on Twitter, on Instagram, on I believe Facebook, uh, but I missed out on a couple of social networks. So very good point on grabbing when you can. Well I would like to uh say thank you for joining me and for everybody listening, if you don't know David or haven't seen him speak um, as I said, I could listen to him, and I've gotten great advice from David over the years. Grab a copy of The New Rules of Marketing and PR, now in its sixth edition. Uh, it's an international bestseller. The, my first exposure to David, that book, Real Time Marketing and PR, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Two phenomenal books, and he's got several others. But for most of you, because I know there's a lot of sales and marketing people that tune into this program, if you have conferences coming up this year, whether that's internal events for your sales and marketing team or external events, um, consider adding David in as a keynote or a speaker. You will not be disappointed. Uh, he and I are both speaking at. I'm doing the keynote. You know, I'm. I'm I guess you're, I'm your warm-up act because on Monday, yeah. I'm doing the keynote at the B2Me MX conference in February in Arizona, and David is speaking on Tuesday. So if you haven't already registered for that conference, um, check that out. B2B MX or B2B Marketing Exchange. Love to see you there, and you'll get a chance to hear more of David. Well, two Davids uh, at that event. Any any other events out there? Um, you're going to speak at Inbound again this year? Um, I've spoken at every single Inbound. Yeah, well, there's so a good I chance then. Most certainly be back in one form or another at Inbound um, in September of this year. Um, for any Tony Robbins fans out there, um, I um, speak at every Tony Robbins Business Mastery event around the world. I um, I speak about marketing, and the next one coming up is going to be late January in Palm Beach, Florida, and then early August in Las Vegas. So if you go to Business Mastery, um, please say hello to me. Cool. And uh, I'll save this story for another time, but if any of you out there ever want to get the backstory, there wouldn't be Demand Gen if there wasn't Tony Robbins. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and you can ask me when you see me out there in the world, tell me the Tony Robbins story. I'll be happy to do so. David, thank you. And thanks everybody for tuning in. That's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. And we'll catch you all on the next episode. And David, I'll catch you in Arizona. Looking forward to it. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.